electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much. And welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Are chances of a soft landing increasing, as some now suggest? And if so, what does that mean to your money with stocks about 15% or so off their October lows? We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. And joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone, Rob Seachin here at the table. We have Joe Terranova, Farmer Jim Labenthal, as you see. Let's check the markets because we have a, a developing story, to say the least. We're in the red across the board. 329 to the downside for the Dow, nearly 1%. S&P has given up 4,000 yet again. That's down three quarters of 1%. NASDAQ was strong, not so much anymore, down 60. That's one half of 1%. And then yields, as Carl was just talking about, there's 342 on the 10-year note. So, I don't know, Joe, maybe it was Bullard. Maybe it was Mester. Maybe it's just a tired market. Can't hold on to 4,000. What do we make of this as you got some soft landing talk among everything else? I think it's a classic example of managing your emotions, not getting too high, not getting too low uh, when prices appear to be breaking out or prices appear to be breaking down. I think fundamentally, when you look at the market today trying to break out beyond 4,000, you have to ask yourself the question, do I know yet whether there's going to be a significant contraction for earnings? The answer to that is no. Why are we having the type of behavior, therefore, in the market that we're having when you're studying a lot of the meme stocks, when you're looking at a lot of the non-profitable technology and mm-hmm. consumer discretionary names that are recovering so aggressively, even when you're looking at crypto. Bitcoin so up like 20 percent in a week. What you don't want to do is you don't want to incite the Federal Reserve, OK, with bad behavior in the market. You want a healthier market where the Federal Reserve can be comfortable sitting back and allowing the effects of their tighter monetary policy and the balance sheet runoff in 2023 to take effect. So I I think from a fundamental perspective, that's the challenge that the market had today. And then on a shorter note, from a technical perspective, Mm -hmm. you know that I study momentum. Yep. It was very obvious, as strong a momentum signal as I've had in the S&P futures in at least nine months. That was at the 4,005 level in the cash index. And what you began to see is the market continued to press higher and higher and higher, but it was losing the valuable components of momentum, like range expansion, like breadth. It was all beginning to narrow. And it's almost as if you have someone on a treadmill that's running and you could see the heartbeat is beginning to go slower and slower and slower. And it indicates extreme exhaustion. It indicates exactly what we're seeing on the screen. Okay. The market's not ready to break out just Okay, yet. so, you know, you had David Solomon from Goldman out at Davos talking about, you know, what he's hearing from CEOs softening about a soft landing. Bullard, I mentioned Bullard, prospects of a soft landing have improved markedly here. That's what he said today. The problem is he also delivered a bit of a reality check to people like Jim. 
He said the Fed should keep up the rapid pace of increases. 50 basis points would be appropriate at the next meeting. He wants to get to five and a quarter to five and a half at the end of the year to prevent a return of inflation. Of course, he admits that inflation is going down, but his issue is keeping it down. Mester piling on there, more hikes are needed, risks of tightening too little. What do you make of this? Because it uh, seemed to upset the market a bit, and it is a bit of a reality check to those thinking that, yeah, soft landing's great, inflation's coming down, we're good. So I do think the chances of a soft landing are going up. Um, I'm not sure that the market got hit down by Mr. Bullard or or Mester. I think really, to me as a market participant, what worried me, what concerned me was retail sales. Uh, Pretty lousy. And on top of that, the Empire Manufacturing Survey from yesterday was was just awful, plain awful. So uh, I think about what Joe just said about controlling your emotions. I'm not going to get afraid. I'm not going to start panicking. I'm going to acknowledge that these uh, data points are out there. But I think they are ameliorated by the fact that, number one, employment is high, meaning that consumption should continue. So retail sales should not be a continuing problem. Uh, Regarding the Empire uh, Manufacturing Survey from yesterday, again, I look at supply chain onshoring. I know we get tired of me saying this and infrastructure spending. And I see that supporting things throughout the rest of this year. So I acknowledge these data points that are a little bit troubling, but I see brighter skies ahead. And regarding the Fed and Mr. Bullard, all I would hope that they would do is raise 25 basis points on February 1st. That's what the market expects. Mm and then be data dependent. I think what's going to be very important is what Mr. Powell says after that meeting, whether he goes back to data dependent once they've all gotten together and thought this thing through. What about the idea that, okay, I'll give you the fact that soft landing hopes are rising, but when the data's weak and Bullard is not talking meek, Mm -hmm. that you have the over-tightening risks elevated at the same time as you have soft landing you have hopes those higher you have those risks there's no question about it and from risk scott as you know comes opportunity comes the ability to make money at i mean these you told prices. our producers you are quote hungry for risk really hungry for risk at these prices yes and what that's reflected in is that i have about three percent cash in my equity portfolio that i run so i'm in and that surprises nobody um look we can make this very complicated or we can make it simple The U.S. economy is the most important economy in the world. I say that. You don't have to agree with me. This economy is built on consumption. As long as people have jobs, Scott, and I know I'm making it super simple, but as long as people have jobs, they will consume. That's what keeps me feeling good about things. So, Kerry, even if you believe that we're going to have a soft landing, which is a plausible belief, uh, you know, we've mentioned those who are talking about it, and others are as well. We didn't mention their names, but it's starting to pick up a little bit of steam. Marco Kalanovic, J.P. Morgan, we cite him all the time when he puts out notes about the market. He says it's priced in anyway. We remain cautious on risk assets, he says, reluctant to chase the past week's rally as recession and over-tightening risks remain high. We believe that a lot of good news is already in the price in terms of inflation moderation or the potential for a soft landing, increasing our underweight in equities broadly. So why don't you take all of that and give me your thoughts, please? Well, all of these market strategists have been very negative. I mean, by and large, it's been uniform. They've been defensive and negative. And so they have to defend their positions. They're going to start to acknowledge that the likelihood of a deep recession may be less than they had expected. Those inflation numbers, the PPI numbers, 
I mean, they are showing some dramatic changes, and the Fed has to accept that these are real numbers and there are prices that are coming down. Look at housing and rents. So I think it's inevitable that there's an acknowledgement that there's a slowdown. We've seen slowdowns in durable goods. Retail sales, anybody went to a store around Christmas, saw that there was there were fewer people and they had less that they were buying and that the prices were all on sale. The software industry's been in a slowdown. Chips have been slow. You, you look at advertising, Google, Meta, all slow. So we're, we're in that slowdown. And the question is, I mean, who cares whether you incite the Fed by buying? I mean, if the Fed is really reacting to people buying stocks, that's not their mandate. So stocks have been cheap. Many stocks have been cheap. They're selling for market multiples that have been, you know, 10 to 14. If you look at some of the names like Meadow or Charter names we've been buying. So I, I don't accept that you have to wait until it's clear that we've been through the worst of earnings for the entire market to, to make some choices and buy some stocks. Some stocks are expensive and other stocks are not. I mean, that's always the case. And, you know, strategists have to, I guess, say either buy or sell, but they'll begin to moderate as it, it, it becomes clear that the Fed is going to ease back from the aggressiveness that we've seen over the past, you know, nine months. Joe's point is that the Fed doesn't want financial conditions to ease to a degree that becomes troublesome and means that they have to keep their foot on the gas, that's not going to be a good scenario to, to be in. I'm struck, frankly, by the fact that I've got somebody sitting to, right in front of me, to my right, suggesting that the economy is great and strong. And then, Kerry, you, you saying that the slowdown is undeniable. And I'm wondering how two people can look at the exact same thing and have come diametrically opposite views on reality. I mean, the economy is nope. either slowing or it's not. It's a binary yeah. issue. One argues it's great, nope. the other says it's slowing. Who says it's great? Jim. Jim, Jim doesn't say it's great. He says that it's not in a recession. I mean, Jim, you should speak for yourself. I, I don't think he's saying it's great. He didn't, okay, he I didn't use the word just... great, but he, he, painted a picture, <laughs> he painted a picture of an economy that's really strong. Okay, that the consumer's strong, manufacturing is strong because of onshoring and all these other issues. I mean, his point is clear. I think his point is that there are attractive equities, that the market has suffered. We, we went down 20 percent. We have been in a bear market. And if you look at sectors like communications down, you know, 40 percent discretionary, consumer discretionary technology. A lot of the market really got destroyed last year. So I, I think Jim has found opportunities and he's looking to capitalize on uh, attractively okay. valued equities. Right. And so let's Jim, go back what do you Jim. think? Yeah. Let's go back to Jim because I don't understand yeah. how we're confused, uh, which we appear to be here. Mm -hmm. Your point on the economy is what? It's simple. Give it to me. We are strong right now. Your point, we, you and I have done this enough times that I can do this, okay? Your point is, yeah, but that's right now, what's to come? No, Kerry made the point that the, it's undeniable that the economy is slowing. <laughs> okay, 
I, I don't see that. And here's, I can, I can give some credence to what she's saying by looking at, for instance, yesterday's Empire Manufacturing Survey, okay? Uh, I mean, a lot of the data is weak. Let, let's just. A lot of the data is strong, I mean, Scott. Unless you're, unless you're at the dinner table every night with Man, Scott Kirby, of, wait, no, 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 he or just an airline CEO. He just nailed it. He just nailed it, okay? Manufacturing is weak. I think it's temporary. I think it has a lot to do with housing, frankly, okay? And we've got to acknowledge that housing went down because mortgage rates doubled. Well, mortgage rates have started to back off. And by the way, there's still demand for housing. All right. That's not going away. People adjust. Prices adjust. You were talking about KB Home, I think, last week. And housing will come back. But my point is about the economy overall, Mm -hmm. not just manufacturing, which I think we've acknowledged over the years is smaller than the services component of the economy. So when I do and you're correct, I do talk about Mr. Kirby, Mr. Bastian, the airlines, what's going on in Las Vegas. It's actually kind of important. But my point, the, the overarching point I would make is, on the whole, the data is quite strong, particularly and probably because of the labor market. Now, leave aside, I know everybody wants to shout at me, yeah, but that's going to incite the Fed, it's going to incite the Fed. Leave it aside. The question you asked me is, what is my opinion on the economy? Right now, it is strong. Let me, let me phrase this just ever so slightly different. We have not seen the recession yet. Some people come on and they say, we're in a recession or the recovery will look like this. You, you have not seen that. Fourth quarter GDP, sorry to do this again. as predicted by the Atlanta Fed. Real GDP, 4.1%. We're just not there yet. It may happen, okay? 425 basis points of rate hikes is serious medicine. It may happen, but we're just not there well, yet. Well, go- those rate hikes, Rob, are going to have an impact, right? Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson on the network earlier, um, he still thinks earnings are going to disappoint uh, and that stocks are still vulnerable. And he doesn't see a trough in earnings until the fourth quarter of this year or the first quarter of next. It's all about, to, you know, it's, it's all still ahead of us, regardless of how things look now, right? The market's going to anticipate what's, what's coming, and there's still, there's still pain ahead in lots of people's minds. And, Scott, I'm glad you got to me because it's all about the lag effects. Jim can be right wrong today and wrong tomorrow. And, you know, the bottom line is liquidity is still not supportive of markets right now. Money supply growth is zero percent the balance sheet is shrinking by one trillion and 23 the fed funds rate is climbing and the fed is still engaged and a pause does not get us back to the kind of liquidity support that's going to be required to have multiples as high as they are so the upside is definitely capped that means as mike points out it's all about earnings and the upside in 23 is going to be driven by earnings remember in an inflationary environment Earnings can elevate because inflation is beneficial to the top line because it allows companies to pass through some of those costs to consumers. So then are you going to be able to uh, maintain the same level of margins in a different environment where the Fed is still tightening and, uh, you know, earnings are likely to decelerate, which pushes multiples up? So I don't think a pause is enough. I don't think earnings being flat is going to be enough. And therefore, you have to ask yourself, is this a risk worth taking? And the answer for us is, as we've approached the 200-day moving average, every time, and today again, at 39.75, we bounced off of it. And so our strategy has been, you have to be a risk manager at those points in the market. And at lower levels, you got you have to be an accumulator at the lower end of that range, 35, 3,600, 
of the investments that Jim's talking about, that Corey's talking about, mm -hmm. that Joe's talking about. And so this is an environment that you have to be really thoughtful around positioning, really thoughtful around quality, so you don't expose yourself to the risk of everybody being seduced by this soft landing narrative. And I can't tell you over the last week, everybody's been seduced. Don't buy it. Jim? Seduction, not, not true romance. Um, look, I mean, the only, thing I, <laughs> I, the only thing I want to say is that for almost all of last year, I think we were seduced by the prospect of a pending recession and a bear market. And I don't want to sound naive. Of course, and I'm looking at Scott here, of course there's going to be an effect of 425 basis points of rate hike. My central point is that this economy is a lot stronger than most people have given credit for. And again, this always comes down to price versus what the opportunity is. I see at these prices good opportunities. I want to make one note, that if you look in the market where things are performing well, it's the cyclicals, it's, it's strangely things like steel stocks that are doing well on a day like today. Um, the market may be telling us something, and, and it may be telling yeah, us that it's not a seduction. Jim, the China's reopening, and, uh, and that no, lends maybe, some support to, to, some, to some of the, it, it, it's not a narrative of it's risk on again. It's selective risk on, I think. I want and you what's to be, happened I, year to date is a seduction back into the, uh, the the investments that really sold off last year if you just if you want to let the market telling you tell you what's working it's that some stocks got really oversold and they're bouncing okay now let's move back to fundamentals i i, I look i i don't know i you see disagree with that well the, what he's saying is basically this is a false bounce it's a bear market bounce that's what i'm think i'm hearing from him and look he does say many things you but think one this thing is back to a risk on bull market? Look, I observe what's working in the market. No, right just now. tell me that yes. you, you do. Yeah. Yeah. And the good point that he makes about the 200 day moving average, Scott, is true. It's factually true that we have bounced off the 200 day moving average in a negative way all year for the last year. Right. Uh, that's going to be true until it mm -hmm. isn't true. And I think really what the catalyst right. is that makes us through the 200 day moving average is when the Fed meets and Mr. Powell speaks and he's got to acknowledge that the data has gotten better on inflation. Now, if he's just hell bent for leather to get to five and a quarter and everybody wants to get there, I can't do anything about that. That will have a deleterious effect. But if they acknowledge that the data is coming in and that inflation is coming down and they've well, got a strong economy. The Bullard continues to say that. OK, but there's others. There are other voting members. Well, they're all. But he's not. No, a they're not member. all. They're not all. He's not That's, a voting I member. I know. But there are other voting members who've been pointing to a 25 basis point hike. The market's looking for a 25 basis point hike. I don't see the reason for a 50 basis point hike. Look, they can have their cake. The Fed can have their cake and eat it, too, if they just take it one 25 basis point hike at a time. They'll get 50 basis points done in two months, and then they can sit and see what happens before so you, the May But meeting. I just want to underscore this. You, you just told me that you think the bear market's over and that this is a new bull market. You said yes. I do. I think the bear market was a head fake to begin with. But you know that. I mean, there's nothing... There's nothing new in what I'm telling you, right? I mean, you, you know that I thought this bear market from last year was ridiculous, unnecessary, unwarranted. I don't see how the market can <laughs> advance with any degree of strong momentum and a clear uptrend, not knowing the earnings results of technology companies. This is an asset light economy. It's an intangible asset economy. Technology is the economy. And it is the center of battle. And we need to understand what the earnings are going to be for these technology companies. I have said all along for the last 60 days that earnings are what 
is going to drive the direction of stocks in the first quarter. NASDAQ was and going for eight straight that. days up. That would be the longest streak since November of 2021. That didn't end well. Do you believe that? November 21 the, didn't end do well. Do you believe that the move in the NASDAQ is legit? Should As of right now, I think into? it's exhausted. I've said that at the top of the show. Right now, I think the move in the S&P and the NASDAQ, based on my fundamental observation, based on the technical observation of momentum, I think it's exhausted. Where it can reignite is if technology earnings over the next 10 days come in better than expected. I mean, you know, again, you're looking back for the prior quarter for the earnings that are going to come out. It's Fair. does that really matter as much as a Nadella well, who's already said the next two years are going to be are going to be tough and what the commentary and guidance carry is, is going to be in, from these companies. Right. The numbers are one thing. The story is another. Yeah, it, it, exactly. You know, I think that we're going to hear a lot over the next 10 days, but we also know a lot. I mean, we, we know, for example, that Microsoft is going to lay off more people. We've heard it across the board from technology and the, the software companies and hardware companies. They, they really have to um, let go of some of the people that they over inventoried in 2020 and 2021 when they thought that you know, they were such scarce um, resources. So, so we know that they care more about margin than they seem to care about last year. We know that there's going to be some softness. I think China reopening is a positive for technology companies. So it's a balance. And, you know, analysts and people who do fundamental research, I know we look at these numbers and we crank out our our models and and revise our estimates. And if we see multiples that have come down, you know, 50 percent or in some cases, you know, 70 percent. And we say, wow, you know, this stock is going to grow at least 15 percent earnings over the next five years. And it trades at, you know, 15 times or 16 times forward earnings. Then, you know, you make those decisions based on valuation. I understand Joe's point about there being a lot of unknowns about the depth of weakness, I guess. But you have to at some point say, OK, here's what we know and here's what the price is. And if we can justify price on a risk reward basis and say there's a likelihood that we'll meet these numbers and the market won't be disappointed. Then, you know, look at Morgan Stanley today. Not very good numbers. And the stock is way up because I think they managed expectations. And we don't own the stock, but I, I think Goldman was the opposite. You know, I mean, yesterday, right. that was yesterday's trend. Right. The opposite didn't manage expectations. Yeah. Um, what do you want to say before we go? Uh, Joe said something that caught my attention about the importance of technology earnings. And it makes me say it depends on what sort of investor you are. If you are a growth investor, the Russell 1000 growth is 43 expo percent exposure within the Russell 1000 growth. If you're a value investor and you know me, Joe, and everybody knows me, right, it's 8 percent. You know what matters more to a value investor is financials, industrials, energy, which are all those sorts of sectors that should move if my thesis is correct that supply chain onshoring and infrastructure picks up this year. But I do think, and this is why I'm making this point, I do think we're undergoing leadership transition from growth over the last decade to value this decade. Okay. All right. Still ahead, we have got Kerry and Joe making some moves in the market. We'll tell you about that. And we do have one major oil name getting a big downgrade today. So we asked the question, is it time to cash out of some of those stocks? We'll debate that in our call of the day. We're back. Two minutes. Dow's down near 400.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back to the Halftime Report. Let's talk about ExxonMobil, that stock right there, which is falling as we're talking about it. Downgraded to a sell today at Redburn. The firm believes shares are at a risk of underperforming this year. They did raise the price target to 98 from 80. Uh, okay, so it's a 111. You make of that what you wish. It's our call of the day. Jim, you own that. And I do recall January 6th, Friday, B of A downgraded Chevron, mm-hmm. right? How do we look at these stocks today? They make inviting targets for downgrades after the two-year run that they've had, and I understand that. And if you're thinking of trimming it, I will just tell you that I'm going to let this run one more surge higher. I think you've got another 10% uh, from ExxonMobil or Chevron Texaco, for that matter. And that's a point at which I would trim this. But I I think the thesis, as I read the note, is that uh, there's going to be supply picking up because CapEx is picking up. CapEx in this industry takes a long time to develop. And I don't think that supply-demand imbalance is going to be solved anytime soon. So I do think you've got more juice to squeeze out of this orange, and I'm going to get it. Joe? I don't understand the call. In March of 2020. You own it too. I do. Okay. In March of 2020, the analyst had a sell rating on ExxonMobil. Price of the stock was $36. In May, at mm-hmm. $41, we go to neutral. We stay neutral until today. The stock goes up to 112. We're neutral the whole time. Now it's at 112. And we come out and we say it's a sell. Okay. Why? Okay. Because the valuation, no. Okay. Let's take the analyst out of it. And just look Let's at it. Let's take the analyst out of it. Let's. You got to. You have to look at the the recommendation of the call. Oh, that, that's fine. I, I. I'm not suggesting don't pay attention to the call, or, and you can criticize it, however way you you want. And then if you know it's justified, it's justified. Okay. My point is just take the call out. Okay. And suggest that it was anybody. Okay. Making a call, that these stocks have run a lot. Look at the performance. Right. Last year the stocks did incredibly well. Okay. Maybe it's time to sell the stocks. Okay. So, so pretend Just that, take it as for face so take, value on take that. Take as an individual investor that you know nothing and you're reliant on what? You're reliant on understanding the earnings, the fundamental environment, the technical environment, and nothing about any of that 
would suggest it's time to move away from ExxonMobil. The earnings are accelerating. The capital allocation is present. The technical momentum is there. And from a valuation perspective, this is a stock that trades at a reasonable valuation. So knowing all of that collectively, why would I sell the stock right here? And what happens if we have a recession to oil stocks? If we have a recession, price of oil will go down. Oil stocks will also correct. I don't think they'll correct to the degree that the spot price of oil will. I think they will be resilient because they have focused on the improvement of their balance sheet. The balance sheet's not going to save them. I understand that. But the dividend and the capital allocation strategy will. Last point on that. Let's say the market's sideways. What does ExxonMobil do? It pays you to wait. That's exactly what you want to do in this environment, get paid to wait. Rob? So, so listen, energy is the story of it being less of a layup in 23 uh, than it was in 22. Last year, earnings grew by 175%. This year, they're forecasted to fall by 13%. But falling earnings does not need to mean falling stocks. And the reason is because you have a margin of safety, like Seth Klarman always used to talk about. Valuations are still cheap, and energy is still structurally under-owned. Yes, there's going to be more choppier trading as a result of just the price moves that we've seen. Um, but here's the interesting part. If we get inflation, which is going to continue to have high inflation or it reaccelerates on a Fed mistake to go dovish, um, I think what you're going to see is energy acts as a nice hedge uh, to the rest of your portfolio. And so we were tempted to make this one of our picks of the year. We picked uh, aerospace and defense. We didn't want to continue uh, to ride it. We were tempted by financials. But this is a value uh, value owner's dream. And we're in a market where value makes sense. Okay. Coming up, Kerry has a new buy. And Joe is getting out of a position that you need to know about. We're going to reveal that, discuss them next when we come back right here on the Halftime Report. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's your CNBC News update. At least 14 people have been killed when a helicopter crashed outside Kiev. Among the dead is Ukraine's interior minister who oversaw the country's police and emergency services. He is the most senior Ukrainian official to die during the war. Dozens more people were injured in this crash, which missed a nearby kindergarten and apartment building. The cause of the crash is not immediately clear. Brian Walsh, husband to missing Massachusetts mother Anna Walsh, has pled not guilty to her murder. At his arraignment, prosecutors laid out their findings to the court. Walsh is charged with murdering his wife, along with a charge related to moving her remains. During the hearing, a litany of evidence was read, including web searches, searches that he allegedly made, such as how to stop a body from decomposing and how long does DNA last. It's not clear whether they have actually found her remains. A close call between two planes at JFK Airport, a JetBlue flight bumped into another unoccupied 
wide JetBlue plane parked in the gate area during pushback. Both those planes now have to go out of service for an inspection. A separate incident at JFK Airport last Friday, two planes almost collided on the runway. And again, the NTSB will investigate both of these incidents. It's a little scary, Scott. All right. All right, Contessa, thank you. That's Contessa Brewer. Let's get to some committee moves now. All right, Joe, you sold the XLRE real estate. Why? Ring in the register, 6% gain. Prologis PLD, that's my stock summit pick. Um, very strong earnings today, strong guidance. It's owned in Joe T. Therefore, given my feeling that the market has a short-term exhaustion element to it and just wanting to take advantage of the 6% uh, up move for the real estate ETF I sold out so of. So you mentioned Prologis. Did you do anything with that? Now I'm confused. Nope. 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 I own Prologis. I still have. So I still have real estate exposure. That's my point. Oh, I got you. Okay. okay. All right. We're on the same page now. Always. It's a little quick. Always. Not always. Carrie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Not always. All right. Carrie, you bought in mode. Tell me what that is. Yeah. Yeah. So in mode is a company that focuses on aesthetics. Uh, they have de- medical uh, aesthetics. They have devices that are laser and proprietary radio frequency for skin tightening and fat melting. I think I can use the first. And it. It's a great um, company in terms of its fundamentals. The sales and earnings have doubled, more than doubled over the last couple of years, but the stock price fell over 70%. And we've known this stock for over three years. Hen bought it, and so now we're getting it at a price which is 13 and a half times next year's estimates. And the aesthetics business is growing globally. I mean, it's really picked up the pace, started during COVID, but it has maintained that growth. And we think it's very attractively priced right here. Okay. Grade My Trade is coming up next. You can send an email, halftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us. We will be right back. All right, here we go. Let's grade your trades. Carrie, up first. Dennis in Florida. I own Align Technology, $191.97. Would this be a good time to accumulate more? What do you think? Well, Dennis, you get an A for making that purchase at the right price. This is a stock that was trading at $725. We own it. It's in the Invisalign, the invisible liners for um, dental reconstruction. And it's, um, it, it was destroyed by the market after it had a big run-up. It's, though, up 45% from the bottom, still down 65% from the peak. But I would add slowly a little more. You, you've got headwinds in China. I know it's reopened, but that's a big market. It's an expensive discretionary item. So if there's some weakness in the consumer spending, you, know, you might get a chance to buy it a little lower than it is here. But it's selling for an attractive multiple with a lot of growth. So, yes, we really think it's a, a good trade. And you get an A- definitely for, for um, being in it with me. All right. Professor Seachin, you're up. Okay, from Jeff. I've been watching Blackstone for a while. Took the plunge on January 6th at 78.50 in a long-term income account. What do you think here? I think it has to be an A. He's up 14 or so percent on, on the trade. We own it. I would focus on the dividend, so he's right to hold it in the income portfolio. I do think there's going to be a lot of short-term 
volatility around the BREIT news. I think a little of that is going to be overdone because it's still a quality grower trading at a reasonable valuation. Um, so I think he's going to like it long term. I obviously know he likes the first move that he saw. But uh, you're going to get some volatility here, probably. Joe, you're up, okay? From a Twitter user, Anthony bought CMG, that's Chipotle, at 1400 It's obviously up since then. What do you think here? 1544 right now. February 7th, I believe, is earnings. I actually like a covered call strategy here. Maybe the 1600 strike. I'd sell, uh, I'd sell that strike, collect some of the premium. Okay. Farmer Jim, uh, this is from a Twitter user. Was it wise to buy Alphabet at $97 or a mistake? And rather, would Q1 2023 earnings be the time to wait for? What do we think? Look, I think it was a good idea to buy the stock. And right now, I'm going to give you a B plus simply because it's down 4%. But your work is not complete here. I think you do want to add to this over time. I'm going to say some numbers that are going to amaze us. The stock trades below 18 times this year's earnings. It's got a peg ratio of 1.4. Okay, it's in a decided downtrend. But that's your opportunity to add to it over time. This is, this is a great bargain here. All right. All right. Keep your trades coming in. Send an email. Ask halftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us as well. The committee will continue to grade your trades. Up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his Midday Word. We're back after this. We're back on the half. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli right there from the New York Stock Exchange for his Midday Word. So the the data was weak today and a lot of Fed speak, right? Kind of a one-two punch from Bullard and Mester. Yeah, and you couldn't really sidestep all of that, given the fact that, you know, let's remember we're up 4% in the first two weeks of the year in the S&P 500 with the riskiest parts of the market up even more. So I don't think anybody thought we were going to compound at a 200% annualized rate in the S&P this year. So it makes sense to back off. Uh, but it does show you the stakes, I, I think, here. In the bond market doing what it's doing, just the longer-term yields collapsing uh, right now, essentially really screaming out for the Fed to, to essentially be finished or just about finished. Uh, And it's unclear that they're willing to do that. Remember, for months and months and months, Fed officials have been saying, look, we want to avoid the 1970 scenario. We want to not be preemptive about calling off the the campaign against inflation before we know for a fact that it's sunk. And and this is the tricky part uh, with the offsetting currents in here. By the way, home builders outperforming the S&P over the last one year on a 12-month basis, it shows you the offsets because you do actually have uh, you know, mortgage rates coming in and those looser financial conditions supporting parts of the market, even as manufacturing really does uh, retrench quite sharply. These over-tightening risks or concerns are, are going to be persistent as long as you have the Fed talking the way they are, whether they're voting members or not. Bullard, Mester, not, yeah. but doesn't really matter when they suggest the types of things that they do, because you have to wonder how pervasive that view is in the room. Right, exactly. And, and really just exactly how long that resolve is going to last in the face of if we get rapidly eroding economic conditions, just exactly what point at which they'll declare victory is the unknown right here. I would say both scenarios are can't be disproven, right, that we're descending inexorably into recession scenario and also that, hey, we can muddle through this thing and uh, it's OK. It's just that when the S&P is at 4,000, a lot less has to go wrong to keep it there than when it's at 3,700, and that's what we're dealing with. The question is, how much do we need to disprove one of those for the market to get out of this range? 
and we right. can continue to have that conversation. I'll see you in a few hours. That's Mike Santoli right, yep. at the Stock Exchange. OT, of course, for his last word. Up next, the stocks that have reclaimed their long-term bullish trends. The committee debates if you should be adding any to your portfolio. Got a couple of really interesting lists for you coming up next. See the Dow there down by a little more than 400, and we'll get back to the markets in a moment. Let's get to Eamon Javers, though, right now in Washington with a news alert. Eamon? Scott, U.S. officials have just announced the arrest of Anatoly Legodimov. He is, they say, the operator and owner of BitsLotto, a cryptocurrency exchange that he ran out of Shenzhen, China. He was arrested last night, the Department of Justice says, in Miami. For some reason, he was here in the United States, and U.S. officials used that opportunity to arrest Legodimov. They accuse him of engaging in illicit finance and cryptocurrency uh, exchanges with a cryptocurrency-fueled uh, darknet site called Hydra, which U.S. law enforcement officials shut down last year. They say this is part of an ongoing effort to demonstrate that the United States can and will shut down criminal use of cryptocurrency. And they say their action today is designed to help restore the crisis in confidence, they say, is going on now in the cryptocurrency market. Scott, back over to you. Okay, Eamon, appreciate that update. That's Eamon Javers outside the Justice Department in Washington, as you see there. Let's get to this screen now that CNBC Pro did. Eight stocks, they suggest, have reclaimed their long-term bullish trend. Their criteria, trading above their 200-day moving average, beating the market this year, up more than 4.5%. That's the criteria there. And analysts see the breakout continuing, expecting greater than 20% gains. Alaska and Delta, Jim, on the list, you own both. Yeah, I think the airlines are strong here, and they're strong for good reason. The CEOs are telling you demand is good. If you look at the TSA traveler statistics, they're well above 100 percent of 2019 levels. How long this lasts is the question. And because some people think that we're in a recession, these stocks are still held back by that. But I think there's a lot of uh, potential returns here yet to come. Okay. Diamondback Energy is in the Joe T, and it's on this list, Joe. A little bit of an underperformer relative to the overall sector. Ridiculously cheap valuation at six times. Uh, It's a name that I agree with. It provides tremendous opportunity if you want exposure to energy based on the balance sheet and really just the under relative underperformance to the sector overall if you believe in mean reversion that's something in 2023 it could positively impact diamondback siege wells fargo on the list yeah we're neutral on the financial sector but let's be honest it's got the easiest comps out there and uh, valuations of the sector are 14 times Wells Fargo's trading 11.3 times 1.1 times book so it's one of the more defensive plays you can have in financials and by the way they're executing they're diversifying their loan book and so this is an easy way to play uh, some uh, financial jumping over a lower bar all right we also have a list out today from Wolf Research it's their first ever alpha list These are their highest conviction list of stocks that they believe will outperform over the next year. Uh, On the list, Kerry, lots of owners. Everybody owns Visa today, but you take that one because that's there. Yeah, so Visa is really a play on a couple things. Travel, the increased move toward digital payment, and the ability of the consumer to continue to spend money over the next couple of years. And it's a great leader in technology, and we think it will continue to outperform. 
All right. Regions Financial, Joe, in the Joe T. Yeah. Uh, if you're wanting exposure to regional banks, which I think all investors should have in this environment, to take advantage of net interest uh, income, Regions Financial geographically is in the sweet spot. It's had the performance the last several years, and the capital allocation strategy is very strong. So selectively, I've found this one over the last several years to be the one that screens at the top of the list for all the regional banks you could have. Joe T is all over this thing. Um, Lennar is in the Joe T. Mm-hmm. Elevance Health. Mm-hmm. formerly Anthem, that's in the Joe T on this mm-hmm. list, Energy Transfer, and Walmart. Yeah. Uh, surprising, I think, Lennar and the performance that Lennar has. Um, D.R. Horton, another name, in Joe T as well. And I think Mike spoke about it before. It's so conflicting when you think about the environment for housing, but yet the performance for a lot of these home builders. It shows sometimes that the economy and the stock market don't necessarily always correlate. Hey, Rob. There's a lag. I'm sorry. Rob Meta, that was your stock summit pick. That's on their list. Yeah, we we agree. Obviously, a, a terrible 2022, but we've already seen a meaningful reset in earnings and expectations for the coming years. Um, Jimmy will arm wrestle me on this one because he thinks there's a lot better ideas that I could have picked, but it's been a, because it's been a value trap in the past. But these cuts make for a very low bar. You're seeing a reacceleration in their core business, a stabilization, a stabilization in user user growth and engagement, and so we just think it's uh, it's a stock given the price that we can own, and it, it, it's showing that thus far this year. Carrie, it's not in your stock summit, but it is in your portfolio. You have as high hopes yeah, for, for Meta as Wolf Research does, and Rob Seachin. Well, it traded as low as 11 times earnings, excluding cash. It's up 50% from the bottom. So, you know, while it was a terrible stock, it became a value trade for a lot of people. And I think they have been buyers. Uh, they're showing some discipline about costs. And they're, you know, I, I think taking it seriously that they can't just spend wantonly. They're cutting a headcount. And so we think they might be able to beat expectations uh, in some of the quarters this year. And there's more upside to the stock. I, I don't know if it's going back to where it was before, but it definitely is the stock on the move higher. OK, quick break and final trades are next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern. Got Josh Brown at Post 9 with me today. Eric Jackson's going to join, too. He has a new trade to tell you about, and he's going to tell you whether he thinks this tech trade bounce back is for real or not. So I'll look forward to seeing all of you in a few hours. Let's do final trades. In the minute we have left, Carrie Firestone, you are up first. Uh, I'll give you First Republic. Came down 50% from its peak in November of 2021. It's starting to recover. I think the stock acts well. It sells for 14 times next year's earnings. Leader in private banking, high-end homes, wealth management business growing. And we think that it's on the uptrend. Okay. Thank you. Rob Seachin. XLB, material sector, spider, weakening dollar, China reopening, and better near-term economic growth should, be, uh, should lead to some positive performance. All right. Thank you. The man we call Farmer Jim. There's been some strength in semiconductors this year. NXP is a relatively safe way to play it because their end market is mostly automotive, where there's strong demand for production. Joey T. 
The Instagram effect is real. People still want to look good even in a bad market. Ulta Beauty, all-time high today. Remarkable. All right. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you in overtime. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.